Yes, Lord Jesus, we want to lift your name on high. We want to lift your name higher than any other name. Lord, thank you that you've revealed yourself to us to be the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of all lords, the the name that is above every other name. And Lord, to your name today, we bow the knee and we boldly proclaim you to be King, to be Saviour, to be our very hope. Lord, we bless you. We worship you. We honour you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, as of today, we are only five and a half weeks away from the shortest day of the year, the 21st of December. Uh, Maybe like me, you're thinking, yes, the summer evenings are going to start drawing back in again in just five and a half weeks' time. Uh, Of course, a slightly more depressing thought, depending on how prepared you are, is that means that Christmas Day is only 41 short days uh, away. Well, in our, yeah, someone's pleased. Well, in our scripture reading today, we hear not about the shortest day, but we get to hear about the longest day in history. And it became the longest day because of the direct intervention of God. Well, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, let me quickly remind you what's been happening in our Joshua teaching series, Are We There Yet? up to this point. So Joshua has moved with his people Israel into the land that God has given them, the promised land. And as they move into the promised land, they continue to face significant challenges. By some miraculous circumstances, they win a couple of battles. Well, one battle and one not really battle, actually. The battle of uh, Ai and the non-battle of Jericho. And because of winning those battles under incredible odds, when everything was against them, the people in the surrounding nations start to be full of fear. So they decide they're going to form an alliance against Israel and against Joshua. They form this massive alliance army, and their aim is to to defeat Joshua and Israel. Now, you might remember last weekend, we landed in Joshua chapter 10, and at the point we joined the story there, the Gibeonites had decided they were not going to join the big alliance because they knew that God was bigger than any army they could form with the other nations. So they deceived their way uh, into an alliance, into a peace treaty with God and his people with Joshua. Now, God had clearly forbidden Israel and Joshua from making an alliance with the Gibeonites. And today, we're going to hear the story of how Joshua and his armies seek to uh, fulfill that treaty that they erroneously made to defend the Gibeonites, but also to fend off the attack of the surrounding nations. And that's when the longest day happens. Now, at the very beginning of this story, the Lord says to Joshua these words, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall be able to stand before you. God makes it abundantly clear to Joshua, Look, you're to go and fight these other nations, and you're to defend the Gibeonites. P.S. I'm with you. Well, if you've got a a Bible with you, do turn to Joshua chapter 10. If you haven't, don't worry. Uh, Listen as I, I read along and jump over some of the difficult words. It says this, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them off all the way down to those two unpronounceable places. As they fled before Israel on the road down from those unpronounceable places, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. 
On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of the whole of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valleys of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it's written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Well, what an incredible scene. God is hurling down massive hailstones from the heavens, and then something even more amazing, even more miraculous happens. The sun stops in the sky. The moon stops in the sky. Why? Because Joshua speaks to God in verse 12 and says to God, God, would you stop the sun in the sky until this battle has been decisively won? We heard in the text, there's never been a day like it before nor nor since when God took orders from a human voice. Now, if you read on in the story, you discover from verse 21 that the whole of Israel's army returned safely from that battle and their enemies are robustly defeated. In verse 25, Joshua uses this amazing experience as an object lesson to remind God's people of something that God had been repeatedly speaking into Joshua's own life since he'd, uh, even before he'd raised up to become leader after Moses. Joshua tells the people, remember this, verse 25, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Be strong and be courageous. How many times have we heard those words? Well, the rest of chapter 10 goes on to record how the armies of Israel successfully conquer the southern part of Canaan. It really is pretty gruesome stuff. But the final verse of the chapter, verse 42, not what it says on the screen, verse 42 tells us how and why all this was possible. Verse 42, and all these kings and their lands were conquered because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And what I want us to see this morning from the text is this, is even when things are happening in your life and you can't see a way out, even when you feel weak and you feel that your enemies might be surrounding you, you have got nothing to fear because God is with you and he is fighting your battles for you. You may feel like you're surrounded, but you are surrounded by God. Even in the storms of life, we can remain at peace because God is the God who fights our battles for us and with us. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that truth deeply reassuring. So, three Ps today, which we can and should uh, use to underpin our faith. Promise, power, and provision. And the first thing I want to say this is that bold, audacious faith stands on the promises of God. If your faith is built on anything other than the promise of God, if your faith is not anchored on the promise of God, then your faith is going to be a wobbly kind of faith. Did you notice in our text that God makes this confidence-bringing promise to Joshua in verse 8? God said to him, don't give them a second thought. I've put them under your thumb. Not one of them is going to be able to stand up to you. That's my promise to you, Joshua, and you can absolutely stand on it. Joshua, you might feel like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by me in this moment. Now, if there's just one thing that Joshua knew for sure by now, after all that he'd been through and after all the victories he'd seen, it was this. God always keeps his promises. God is faithful even when we are not faithful. Joshua discovered that God is not just enough, but he is more than enough. You see, Joshua knew in his head, he knew in his heart, and he knew from his life experience as well, from everything he'd been through up to this point, he knew all of that to be true. 
So what does Joshua do in response? Well, Joshua acts on the promise of God. He acts on the promise of God. He does not do another P. He does not procrastinate. Any of you procrastinators? Well, I think I used to be a procrastinator. I'm not quite so sure now. I don't know whether to put my hand up or not. Of course, we all know a procrastinator, don't we? Don't put off till tomorrow what should have been done before the day before yesterday when it could be put off until the day after tomorrow. A little poem for you if you're a procrastinator. You can claim this is your own. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. I'm very busy doing things I don't need to do in order to avoid doing things I'm actually supposed to be doing. Some of us live life like that. And actually, sometimes I want to say to us, I shouldn't mock, it's good to procrastinate. But there is a point at which procrastination is unhelpful, it's unhealthy, and it can even be disobedient in our walk of faith. The time when we should definitely not procrastinate is when God has clearly given us an instruction and he's given us a promise too to underpin it. Procrastination can be the enemy of success. Now, Joshua is definitely not a procrastinator in our story today. He's heard very clearly an instruction from God, which is accompanied by a promise that God had given with it. Now, how do I know that Joshua is not a procrastinator? Because as soon as Joshua hears the promise of God in verse 8, Joshua marches with his army suddenly, the text says. Suddenly, speedily, quickly, without hesitation, without procrastination to the place where the enemy was. Joshua is a man who does not waste a second responding to the promise of God that he's heard. Now, Joshua in this moment would have been very, very foolish to have gone into this battle if it weren't for the instruction and the promise of God that gave him the confidence and the wisdom to go into that battle. So I've decided something. I've decided I'm, I'm, not going to, I, I'm going to avoid procrastination just like Joshua did, and I'm going to start tomorrow. So in verse 10, you might expect Joshua to be doing some great things, all that's been said. You might expect the text to say, and Joshua threw everyone into a great panic, and Joshua struck them with a great blow, and Joshua was the one who chased them away. Joshua destroyed them all, but actually that's not what the text says. The text says in verse 10, and God, and God, and God, and the Lord. The Lord threw them into confusion. The Lord struck them with a great blow. The Lord was the one who chased them away. The Lord struck them down. So it leaves me with a question, well, who's doing all the fighting here? Is it Joshua or is it God? And the answer is, yes, it's Joshua, and yes, it's God fighting. The Lord is fighting through Joshua, and Joshua is fighting in the strength that God gives. There's a human divine cooperation here happening but ultimately, it's God who's fighting the battle. If God were not involved, then the battle would be lost. Listen again to the sequence of events here, because I think it's a really good learning point for us. In verse 8, God makes a promise. In verse 9, having heard the promise, Joshua claims the promise as his own, and he acts immediately. And then in verse 10, God proves himself to be faithful. And actually, when you think about it, that's pretty much been the pattern of Joshua's life. God makes a promise. Joshua acts on the promise. God proves himself to be faithful. And that's been the story of my life. Maybe it's been the story of yours. God makes me a promise, and in my better moments, I sometimes have them. I obediently act in response to that promise, and God proves himself to be faithful, sometimes even when I am not faithful. And you see, I think that's our first learning point, that bold faith acts upon the promises of God. 
Well, I wonder, how do we discover the promises of God? Well, the best place to find the promises of God so that we can act boldly in faith is to allow the Word of God to saturate my life and to saturate my mind. Well, how does that happen? It happens when I take the time to know the promises of God, to hear the promises of God, to read the promises of God. If I'm not engaged in Scripture on a regular basis, then how can I possibly know the promises of God in my life? But actually, just knowing the promises of God isn't enough, is it? I can have an encyclopedic head full of the promises of God, but if I never do anything with those promises, then those promises are useless. Hearing God's Word initiates faith, but that's not enough. Praying God's Word activates that faith. There needs to be something happening in my prayer life that says, look, God, what you've said to me, I'm going to believe by faith, and I'm going to, uh, Lord, if, if you give me the strength, I'm going to act on that thing. Praying into these things can lead us away from procrastination. Praying God's word activates our faith, but then we need to obey God's word to demonstrate that faith. We need to know the promises of God. We need to pray into the promises of God, which includes checking that we've understood them rightly, and then we need to act on those promises. God gave Joshua a promise. The outcome has already been predetermined, and you're going to win this battle. Joshua acts on that promise, and he discovers that the great promise maker is also the great promise keeper. Somewhere between the promise being made and the promise being fulfilled is an obedient response from Joshua in exercising this bold, audacious faith. And that's true for us as well. We can hear the promise, we can see the outcome of that promise, and somewhere in between is an audacious response from us, a step of obedience. So firstly, bold faith stands on the promises of God. But secondly, bold faith is rooted in the power of God. Don't you just love this story? The power of God is just all over it, isn't it? And it's really obvious. God in the story is able to do what would otherwise be impossible. Hailstones, pausing the sun, the moon, chasing away this massive army with a relatively puny opposition. But I want to say this. I don't think that's the most miraculous thing happening in this text. Compared to one thing, the stopping of the sun and the moon and the hailstones is absolutely nothing. But even these events, and I'll come back to the other thing in a moment, reminds us that the battle belongs to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been involved in any kind of a spiritual battle or any kind of a wrestle, if you've ever had some kind of victory over temptation, any temptation, if ever you've had that, we should avoid looking in the mirror and saying, well, look how sharp my sword is. Look how I won that spiritual victory. I'm so great. I'm so wonderful for overcoming. That's pride. And I spoke about that last weekend. Instead, in humility, whenever we win any kind of a victory, we should honor the one who has really been fighting that battle for us. Do you know, as I've read and reread these scripture verses this week, I've been wowed and really convicted by something that I'm struggling to get my head around still. You see, our scripture verses prove to us today that God doesn't need me. It proves to us that God is the God who can do anything that he wants. God is the God who is not obligated to answer my prayers. God does not need me to win any kind of a spiritual battle. God can do whatever he wants completely apart from my effort and yet. I wonder if you're ever tempted to think, I don't need to march, I don't need to fight, I don't need to pray. The Lord's got this battle under control. I can just sit over here from the sidelines and I can just cheer at the end. Woohoo! Come on, God, you've got this. And yet, 
And yet throughout the story, we see something that theologians call the divine human cooperative. God fought, but Joshua was expected to fight too. God doesn't want us just sitting on the sidelines. He wants us to be a people who pray, and sometimes to pray big, bold, audacious prayers to engage in the battle on the understanding that God is also fighting in that battle through us and for us. I sometimes in my walk of faith find myself thinking something a bit like this, God, I really don't want to embarrass you. I'm worried that I might pray something big and bold that's not in your will. So, Lord, I'm just going to stay in my safe little box of convention. I don't want to speculate on the battles that you want to win, and I don't want to engage in any of the battles that you don't want to fight. I don't ever want to pray, pray anything that would end up as an unanswered prayer, because unanswered prayer would kind of make you look bad, and I don't want to make you look bad. Do you ever think that kind of thing in your walk of faith? In my more humble moments, I hear God respond to me, Chris, really? Seriously? Do you think the itty-bitty little you is somehow going to embarrass me? It's not possible. There's no enemy that's too strong for me. There's no vision that's too sweeping for me. There's no prayer that's too big for me to answer if I want to answer it. And I sense God says to me, I love it when you, I love it when CBC partner with me in what I'm doing. How about you join in with it? Don't just sit on the sidelines. Actually join in because when you do, here's a promise that we can claim from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 12 When you join in, my, that's God's power, is made perfect in weakness. God can take my weakness, our weakness, and do something amazing with it. So bold faith stands on the promises of God. Secondly, bold faith plugs into the power of God. And finally, bold faith believes in the provision of God. Our God is the God who knows what we need, and he knows how best to give it. Sometimes we need to ask for it. It's what I learned from the story. Sometimes we need to ask for it. You know, there are some things about the Christian life that are supernatural and unexplainable. And actually, I think that's okay. I know sometimes we want to fill in all the gaps. Our enlightened mind says, well, Google ought to be able to give us the answer. But there are times when there are things we simply cannot know in this journey of faith. And just one difference between me and God is this. He knows everything I don't. He knows everything I don't. Now, I want to read you some words from the text again that I don't have the ability to explain. Joshua 10, 12 simply says this. Joshua spoke to the Lord. Isn't that brilliant? Joshua spoke to the Lord. But the Lord had first spoken to Joshua in verse 8. So God initiates this conversation, and then Joshua responds by speaking to the Lord. Here's Joshua's prayer. Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Sun stands still, moon stands still. Then what happened? The sun stood still, and the moon stopped until Israel had won their battle. I can't explain that to you. Joshua fights this battle all day long. He marched all night to get there. He didn't waste a second in going to the battle, and he finds himself running out of time, so he prays a prayer to God to send the battle into extra time, into overtime. God, would you buy me another, uh, another 30 minutes here? God, would you buy me another day? Now, I don't know why Joshua did that. Maybe it was panic. Maybe it was driven by faith. Maybe it was fear that under the cover of darkness, the enemy somehow were going to get away. But Joshua prays by faith a big, audacious, hairy prayer, and he asked God to do something that seems seemingly unimpossible. Just stop the sun right there until my enemy 
has been defeated. And here's the greatest miracle of this story. God answers his prayer. Wow. Now, I can't explain that to you. There's no good scientific explanation which is remotely defensible for the sun stopping. This is a miraculous event in the life of Joshua and of God's people. This is God's provision for his people just when they need it. Occasionally, God answers impossible prayer and changes impossible situations. Why? Because he's fighting for us. That's why we're not going to stop praying for baby Grace. Because we have a God who's fighting for us and fighting for her. God can answer even the most impossible of prayers. The greatest miracle in this story is not that the sun stood still. The greatest miracle is that somehow a holy, infinite, all-wise creator God bent his ear to this part of the universe, to the neighborhood where you and I live. And he responded to our desperate cry for help. That's the miracle of this story. As I finish, I want to leave with you some words of uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and some words from Hebrews. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. But then Jesus goes on to say this, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, the text says. Jesus knew his heavenly father better than I know him, and he says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? God is the God who knows how to give good good gifts for those things that we need. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold therefore unswervingly to the hope we profess. I profess Jesus to be Lord and Savior. I profess that Jesus is King of Kings. I profess that Jesus is the Savior of the universe, that he died, that he rose again in order that I can be in relationship with God. Let us unswervingly hold on to that hope. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says, for he who promised is a faithful God. God has never failed me yet. Great is his faithfulness. That's my confidence as I head into the week that's ahead of me. And as we're still just in these moments as we draw towards a close, I just want to create space for you to encounter God in this moment. We have a God who moves by his spirit, who can change and touch our lives and our situations. I want to encourage you this morning to think about listening for the promises of God and responding to the promises of God. It might even be that you sense God gave you an instruction and a promise once and you've been stuck in procrastination Why not in these moments pray that God would give you uh, the courage to take a step of faith? Maybe there's something going on in your life today where you just need to be reminded that God is with you, that he's for you, that he's fighting with you and he's fighting on your behalf. Maybe this morning is the time to hang on even more confidently to the hope that you profess. For he who promised is faithful and he knows how to give good gifts. Not, Not the gifts we want, but the gifts that we need. He knows how to give them. That's our God. Let's be still together as we pray. Lord, I thank you this morning that your word is just scattered with promises, more promises than we could uh, ever get our heads around. And Lord, we want to thank you for that this morning. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us increasingly be a people who 
not only read your promises, but Lord, seek to apply those promises and act upon the promises that we've discovered. Lord, thank you too, as we see in this story, that we can know your power. How much more? How much more do we know the power that you're able to give by the work of your Holy Spirit? And Lord, we just want to pray in these moments that for those things that we wrestle with, for those areas of life where we might feel like we're in a battle, we might feel we're surrounded by an enemy, Lord, would you remind us that we're surrounded by you? temptation that we keep caving into, the addiction that we're consistently wrestling with, the relationships that trouble us. Let's take a moment in the stillness just to name before God in the quietness of your own heart that one place, that one area, maybe more, where you need to know that final P, the provision of our God. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God who knows how to give good gifts. How much more? How much more? So, Lord, we thank you for this story. Thank you for the challenge of this story as well. And, Lord, we pray over ourselves that even as we leave this place today, that, Lord, we would go standing on your promises, plugged into your power, and believing in your provision. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song together, which I think might be a new song to uh, some of us. Don't worry.